Let's pray and ask God to speak to us. Lord, we thank you for this time to give attention to your word. This time to look at an encounter between two men of different standings. And Lord, thank you that tonight as we look at this, that your desire is to speak to us through your word and by your spirit. And so, Lord, we would ask that's what you'd do. Lord, may this passage not only challenge us in ways, but may it really encourage us. And may we leave here delighting in the God that you are, the God who has shown us such undeserved kindness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time that you showed someone undeserved kindness? That's a challenging question, isn't it? When was the last time that you, you did something for someone or you gave something to someone and it was completely and utterly undeserved and you did it from completely pure motives? Hands up as your pastor here, as your minister. I, I, I can't remember the last time I did that. Can you remember the last time you did it? What's really interesting though is that David in this passage, that's what he does. He shows undeserved kindness to a man called Mephibosheth. Last week, if you remember, we saw that, that David, he, he, um, he'd been kind of promised the kingdom, then he'd become the king. And last week, we saw God promise him that God was going to establish his kingdom forever through a descendant. And we found out last week that Jesus was that ultimate descendant who would rule forever. And so that was, that was 2 Samuel chapter 7. And then in 2 Samuel chapter 8, if you read it at home, what you're going to see is David basically battling all of the enemies of Israel. Israel was surrounded by nations who did not like them. It was surrounded by nations who wanted their land, who wanted to take over. That's just the way it was in the ancient world. And if you read through chapter 8, what you see there is that at David at the helm, David as the commander of the army, they basically fought all of their enemies and they defeated everyone. They defeated the Philistines. They defeated everyone around them. And at the end of chapter 8, what you find is that for the first time in the history of God's people going into the land, there is peace. No one's attacking them. No one's fighting them. And they've got a relatively good king in place, King David. And we know he's a relatively good king because if you have a look at the last verse of chapter 8, verse 15, what you'll see there is it says that David ruled and there was justice and equity to all finally, peace. If you've been here since, I don't know, September last year, you'll have seen the journey we've been on for them to get into the land. And then you'll have seen the journey of them taking the land. And then you'll have seen the time of the judges where there was chaos in the land. And then you'll have seen King Saul. He was a, a disaster of a king. But finally, under King David, there is peace in the land. And what I find really interesting is that once this peace comes, David decides to do something really inspirational. He decides to show undeserved kindness to a man called Mephibosheth. And there's three things that are on your handout that we see David doing, which are really inspirational, things that, that could be a really good example to us. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying David is a perfect example. 
I'm not saying that David is an example we should always follow because next week what we're going to see is that he sleeps with a woman who's not his wife and then he orders the, the killing of her husband to cover his tracks. So David is not a perfect example to follow. But maybe here, maybe in this passage, maybe this is here to challenge us to be like David. Maybe that's why it's here. So let's look at it through those eyes. Because we see David doing three things. First of all, we see David looking for someone to show kindness to. That's the first thing that we see. If you remember, before King David, there was King Saul. And God said that he was going to take the kingdom from Saul. But Saul did not like this. He wanted his line to be in the kingdom forever. And there was his son, Jonathan. And Jonathan, he would have been the one who would take the kingdom from Saul. But God said, nope. David is going to be the next king. Saul didn't like it, so he tried to kill David, but he couldn't. But Jonathan supported him. But eventually, fighting the Philistines, both Jonathan and Saul died. But before they died, King Saul asked something from David. And I put it on your handout there. You see it in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verses 21 to 22. And what Saul says this is, this is, Swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Saul knows David's going to be the next king, and so he says to David, David, listen, will you do something for me? Please, please don't kill my descendants. Please don't kill my sons and my grandsons. Now, you're wondering, that, you know, why would he do that? David would have done that because that's what kings did who took over who weren't in the family line. They killed the family of the previous king so that there'd never be a rebellion or an uprising. And so Saul, he pleads with David and he says, David, I know you're going to be the next king, but, but please don't kill my sons and my grandsons and my family. Don't blot out my name from the earth. And David swore to Saul that he wouldn't. So, do you see what he's promised there? All that he simply promised Saul is that he's not going to kill his family. That's the only promise that is made. And David is true to his promise. He doesn't kill the sons of Saul. He doesn't kill the grandsons of Saul. He just gets on with life and does what God has called him to do. But finally, there is peace. And whenever there's peace, then he does something beyond what he promised. Because once there's peace, he actually decides that he's going to show more kindness to Saul's descendants than they deserved. And you see that in verse 1. Have a look at verse 1 of chapter 9. David said, is there still anyone left in the house of Saul? Now, if we didn't see the second half of that verse, you'd be reading that going, oh no, he's about to kill them all. He's got peace now and he's going to kill all the household of Saul so they don't rise up in this peaceful time and take over. But that isn't what David says. Look at the second half. Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake. There's peace in the land. And David starts thinking about Jonathan, his friend, and Saul, his enemy. He starts thinking about the promise that he, he wouldn't kill these descendants. And as he thinks about them, something goes on in his heart that makes him want to show kindness to them. And there was someone left in the line of Saul. We're told that there was a man called Mephibosheth who was disabled. He was lame in both feet, we're told. 
And if you read back in earlier on in 2 Samuel, you'll actually be able to see how he became lame. In 2 Samuel chapter 4, uh, news came that Jonathan had been killed and that Saul had been killed by the Philistines. And, and the nurse who was nursing Jonathan, or was nursing, uh, was nursing Mephibosheth, thought, I got to get him out of here or they're going to kill him too. And so we're told that she picked him up and she started running with him. And there was a fall. You can imagine the calamity. And Mephibosheth was injured and had a life long disability. Anyway, this grandson of Saul is still alive. Mephibosheth is still alive. But David doesn't know this. So what he does is he, he puts out like a missing person's appeal. He, he sends out a, a missing person's appeal throughout the kingdom. If you know of anyone related to Saul and Jonathan, you know, make sure I know about it. Tell me. You can imagine the posters going up around the kingdom and it going viral on Facebook and Twitter. You know, you can imagine that, can't you? The king is looking for descendants of Saul. Could you be one? And so this message goes out. And then in verse 2, we see that news comes back that there is someone still alive. Verse 2, there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So there was someone who worked for King Saul. He was one of King Saul's servants back in the day. And, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? Are, are you the guy who, who served Saul? And he said, I am your servant. He's, he's siding with David here. Yes, yes, David, I, I was Saul's servant, but, but you know, I respect you as the king now. I'm, I'm your servant. I think Zeba's worried that David's about to, to take him out. But he says, I'm your servant. Then verse 3, and the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Hey, Zeba, is, is there anyone left? Do you know of anyone from the family of Saul? Because I want to show kindness to them. Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then the king sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. So the king, he, he, he wants to show kindness to this man. And I don't know about you, but, but I find this pretty inspirational. Here is a king. Here is someone who is revered. Here is someone in absolute power. Here is someone with the, the world at his fingertips. Here is this king who has subdued his enemies. Here is this king who could be full of self-importance, who could be full of selfishness if he wanted to be, who could have people come and serve him and do good to him. And yet, what does he want to do? He wants to show kindness to someone who he didn't have to show kindness to. He wanted to show kindness to someone he didn't have to show kindness to. And we could look at this as an example to follow, couldn't we? We could start to ask ourselves the question, are we like David? Do we go out of our way to show kindness to people? Because that's what he's doing here. He, he doesn't have to do this. He's actually looking for the opportunity, and he's going out of his way to show kindness to this man. And we could ask ourselves that question, couldn't we? Do we do this? Is this something we do as Christians? Do we go out of our way to show kindness to people around us? Do we go out of our way to show kindness to people around us even though we don't have to? We could ask ourselves that question, couldn't we? 
And then what we could do is we could, we could look at the New Testament and we could also kind of challenge ourselves from that. We could read passages like Galatians 6, which says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are in the household of faith. Be like David, the New Testament says, do good to other people. We could look at Titus 2, verse 14, where Paul says that Jesus saved us to be people who are zealous for good works. You know, we've been saved to do good to other people. Be like David, look for opportunities. And we should, shouldn't we? I mean, we should do that. I wonder, is that the message of this passage? I wonder, is it that we should leave here and, and start to think how we could do good to others? I think we could read it that way. Maybe we could go home tonight and think, how could I do good to the people who I live with, my, my flatmates or my family? We could go into work tomorrow morning with a new mindset. Okay, I'm going to go into work tomorrow and I'm going to look for opportunities to do good to people. We could look at the church and the people who may be struggling and going through hardships and we could start to look around our church family and think, you know what, I'm going to start to try to do good to people in church. And the list goes on and on and on, doesn't it? How could I be good to people in social media? How could I be good to people in my community, in my street, in my school, in my university, at my bus stop? The, the list could go on. And maybe this is the message. Maybe it is. Maybe the message of this passage is that we should start to look for people to do good to. Maybe that's the first point. Maybe that's the first thing that God wants to say to us tonight. And then we go back to our passage, because what I love about David here is that he, he doesn't just kind of show kindness, um, kind of just to, to kind of people like that. I don't know how to put this. What I love about David, I'll put it this way, he shows kindness to Mephibosheth face to face. It's not an abstract kindness. He gets him to come to him, and he shows him kindness face to face. And again, we see that in verse 6. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David. So he brings him to the palace, and he's brought before David face to face. And this man, he falls on his face, and he paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, I'm your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show such regard for a dead dog such as I? I love this. David decides that he's going to be kind to Mephibosheth. And he brings him to the palace, and he meets him face to face, and he shows him kindness in person. He didn't have to do this, did he? He could have just kind of sent some messengers, couldn't he? You know, the king had, a, I guess, his own postal service if he wanted. You can imagine him giving him an edict, okay, go to Mephibosheth's house and, and read this letter to him. The king today has declared he's going to show kindness to you, he's going to restore Saul's land to you, and you're going to be able to eat at his table. The kindness could have been from a distance. The kindness could have been shown from a distance, but it wasn't. The kindness to Mephibosheth was shown face to face. And maybe this is the challenge, is it? Maybe this is what God is saying to us, that, that we're to be kind to others, but we're not just to do it from a distance, 
but we're to do it face to face. You see, I think it's really easy to do good from a distance. And please don't mishear me. These are good things to do, but, but it's really easy to, to do good from a distance. It's really easy to give to a charity that helps homeless people, isn't it? That's an easy thing to do. You, you set up a direct debit and you pencil in 10 pounds a month and that goes out of your bank account and, and you don't even think about it and it doesn't really cost you anything. And you're giving and you're doing good, but it's from a distance. But that's very, very different, isn't it? From, from walking down the street and seeing a homeless man and, and crouching down beside him and asking him his name and hearing his story and taking him to a coffee shop and buying him a cup of tea and his lunch. Do you see the difference between the two? There's, there's helping at a distance. Given the, the Cancer Research UK, that is a brilliant thing to do. You know, we, we might write a check once a year, a big check, and send it off, and we know that it's helping some people with cancer. Well, that's very different, isn't it, from, from Rosemary across the road who, who's got cancer and, and gets a bus to your chemotherapy appointment, and, and what you could actually do is give her a lift and go with her and, and walk in with her and hold her hand as she goes through that alone. Do you see the difference? Doing good is, from a distance, is, is really, really good. But here, David, he, he gets his hands dirty. He, he gets face to face with the one he's helping. And maybe the message is this. Maybe it's the message of that if we're going to do good to people, we, we need to really do it face to face and we need to get our hands a bit more dirty. And again, that's a challenging message and, and maybe that's something that God wants to say to us tonight through. And then we see the last thing that Mephibosheth, or that David does, and, and again, this is just, this is beautiful. I, I, I just think this is lovely. Because having brought him in and having said, okay, Mephibosheth, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to restore the land that Saul had to you. So now you're going to have an income. You know, you're crippled. You can't work. You know, I know that, that you've no income and no way of earning for yourself. Well, do you know what? I'm going to give you the land, and Ziba and his sons, they're going to work it for you. And all the money that's made, that's going to go to you. That's lovely, isn't it? But he doesn't stop there. Because the last thing that David does is he treats Mephibosheth like a son. Look at what he says he's going to do for him. So in verse 11, um, Ziba says, okay, all of that stuff that you've said, we're going to do that. But then look what it says there. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table, look in verse 11, like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth, just so you know, you're not going back to Lodabar. You're not going home there. You're staying here in the palace with me. And I'll see you at breakfast. And I'll see you at lunch. And I'll see you at dinner. Because you're going to eat your meals with me. From now on, Mephibosheth, you're going to eat your meals with me and my sons. Mephibosheth, do you see what I'm saying here? I'm going to treat you like a son. I'm going to treat you like one of my own. I'm going to be like a father to you. I'm going to love you. It's amazing, isn't it? He makes Mephibosheth like a son and he treats him like a son. 
treats them so, so well. And again, there, there's maybe application. Maybe it's something that God sent us, you know, that we should, in the church, treat each other like family. You know, we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and do we really treat each other like family? Maybe that's the challenge. Or, or maybe it's going to challenge us to think about adoption or fostering. That could be another challenge. Maybe this whole passage is there to say that you and I are to be like David. Maybe it's here tonight to challenge us that we're to be people who do good to others or to pure hearts and who are kind to others for no reason and are to be good, kind-hearted people. But I don't think that's why it's here. I don't think this passage is here to tell us to be like David. Do you want me to tell you why I think it's here? I think it's here to remind us that we are Mephibosheth. We are Mephibosheth. And who is David to us? It's the Lord Jesus. We come to Jesus with nothing to bring. Nothing but our fallen state. Nothing but the sin in our hands and in our hearts. We come to him with nothing. And what does he do? He shows us undeserved kindness. He forgives us of all of our sin. And He adopts us into the family of God. And He makes us children of God. Folks, tonight, I don't think the message of this passage is be like David. I think the message is remember that you're Mephibosheth. Remember that you're Mephibosheth and remember tonight what God has done for you in Christ. I'm a little bit disappointed uh, with this passage in that it doesn't tell us how Mephibosheth felt. Apart from he, he, he nails down in homage. But I can just imagine, can you just imagine for a second how he felt? I imagine he felt completely and utterly blown away. I imagine when he was brought to David, he thought, oh no, I am in for it now. My time is up. He's going to come down on me and, and end me here because of my relation to Saul. And then there's the relief of, of not being, I guess, wiped out. And then he hears the, the kind of gift that he's going to get. Yeah, and, and you're going to have an income. And I can imagine going, oh my goodness, I'm going to have an income? I've never had an income. I'm going to have my own income. Ah! And then the last bit, but you know you're actually going to live in the palace. And I'm going to treat you like a son, and you're going to dine with me forever. And I just imagine his kind of brains exploding with, with overwhelming joy and delight and amazement. What about your brains? Are they exploding? Because you are Mephibosheth. You have an inheritance. Everything you need will be provided. You'll dine with the king forever. He's brought you into his family. And he'll never drive you away. And he's chosen to love you because he's chosen to love you because he's chosen to love you. It's not because of anything good in you. It's not because of anything you've done. It's simply because he is a God who loves to show undeserved kindness to undeserving people.
tonight, what I want you to do is leave here with Ephesians chapter 2 ringing in your ears. You have received a gift, an undeserved gift. And I'd love you to leave rejoicing that you're Mephibosheth and that you've a God who loves you so much he sent Christ to save you. Sometimes as Christians, I think we find it hard to kind of work up uh, a reason to worship. We know we should worship. We know we should praise. But tonight I want you to let Mephibosheth remind you of why. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And he loves you because he's chosen to. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Father, we would love to be like David. We'd love to be kind. We'd love to be so generous. We'd love to give from a pure heart. We'd love to do all of that. But Lord, we know there is only one who has done that consistently, and that is you. You're the only one who is always giving, always loving. You're the only one who's ever done that perfectly. And Lord, tonight we just want to thank you that you've poured out your love on us. Thank you that you have been good to us. Thank you that whenever we were sinners dead in our sin, you made us alive in Christ simply because you chose to. Lord, help us tonight and in the coming days and weeks and months always to remember that we are Mephibosheth that we are those who bring nothing to you, only our sin and our fallenness. And yet you fill us with your goodness and your grace and your compassion and your mercy and your love. Lord, may that cause us to worship you. May that cause us to praise you. May that cause us to delight in you. Lord, help us not to forget the gospel. Help us not to forget the grace that we've received. And may that stir us to be people who show grace to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.